One of the beautiful things about Parshas Korach is that it's all about machlokas. It's all about fighting, disputes, and contention. And I guess similar to Tazriya Mitzorah, which is all about saras, and like every rabbi has to speak about Lashon Hara once a year, so too Parshas Korach runs, rolls around, and that's what you have to speak about. We have to speak about machlokas. We have to speak about the ills and the evils of machlokas, not as a response to anything particular going on in any one community, but once a year is a dedicated week to speak about the values that we have of shalom and the problems of machlokas. And it's a chance to speak frankly about those values, no sugarcoating, just to say it like it is. And there's really one word that I want to focus on in our parsha, and that's the word tapam. Tapam is a word which means young children. In our context, in which the Pasuk already mentions the words b'neihem, children, tapam means even younger. Literally, it means babies. And it appears in our parsha right where the punishments are about to be meted out. Uh, Korach and his... Uh, Patriarchs Dawson and Avirim have begun the rebellion. They have challenged Moshe's authority in his appointing Aaron, his brother, as the Kohen Gadol. Moshe has tried to appease them several times. They have done the fire pan test with the 250 leaders of the sun, uh, Roshe Ha'am. And uh, it's, it's become clear. And as the punishments are about to be given, the Torah describes that Dosan and Aviram remain defiant. And the language the Torah uses is Yatsu Nitzavim Pesach Ohalem. They stand Nitzavim, literally means like upright or defiant at the entrances of their tent. Unisheim, but not just Dosan and Aviram remain defiant. Together with their wives, Uvneim, and with their children, Vitapam. And their young <clears throat> babies, their nursing infants in their mother's arms are all there defiant at the entrance of their tents. And Rashi notes that the Torah is highlighting something here. Bo'orei, come and look, Rashi says. Kama koshahi hamachlokas. How difficult, how painful is this idea of machlokas. And the way that it manifests itself, Rashi says, in general, when a punishment is given out, a bazedin, a human court, a Sanhedrin, a bazedin here, we never punish anyone less than 13. Until you're 13, you're a child. You're not involved in anything. And the, and the bazedin shall shamayim, a heavenly court, if they're ever going to punish any human being, a Jew for doing something, never less than the age of 20. Why the distinction between the heavenly court and an earthly court? Not for us right now, but either way, Rashi says, 20 from a heavenly court, 13 down here. But here, these babies, the tapam, the youngest children, were swept up when the earth opens up and swallows Dosan and Aviram and their families. These babies that the Torah is highlighting were there. I wouldn't have even known there were any babies if the Torah wouldn't have told me, but they were there. They were in their parents' hands and they were all swallowed whole in this punishment. So look. Look at how difficult Machlokas is. What Rashi does not explain, but the Maharal asks is, why should that be? I I see it's different, but if it's true that there's never a punishment given under the age of 13 or under the age of 20, why are these babies being punished? Why? That's not fair. What did they do? What did you want from them? And the Maharal explains in a most powerful way. He says, this actually was not a punishment because you can't punish a child. You can't punish. Let's just think. This is a reality. The reality is when you bring machlokas into your home, you are bringing gehenim into your home, is the Maharal's language. You're playing with fire, and fire destroys. Fire is a destructive force that does not ask how old you are. It doesn't ask, what have you been doing recently? Have you been good? Have you been bad? It doesn't care. It destroys everything. And that is 
Machlokas. The nature of Machlokas is Ganem. And if you bring it in, it destroys. And therefore, these young babies didn't do anything wrong. They were swept into the fire of Gehenim and were lost together with their families. And any person who says, ah, oh, I'm just, I'm going to engage in a machlokas, but it's just at my place of work. It's just at the school. It's just at the shul. It's only the community. It doesn't work that way. It's fire. And it's Gehenim. And it sweeps everything up in its path. And we all know, everyone knows and has experienced what that is like. And this is the parsha which we talk about the values of Shalom. Because Shalom doesn't happen on its own. Shalom needs to be created. shalom As the way that Hashem creates peace up in the heavens amongst all the different angels. We have to create peace down here. Because the reality is when you have a group of different people... Different people have different thought processes, have different values. And if you want to create a community where everybody's the same, okay, maybe, you can have maybe peace. But that's not how communities work. It's not how schools work. It's not how shuls work. It's not how families work. People have different values. People have different ways of looking at the world. People have different thought processes. So it's going to start where there are differences. And that's where shalom is a requirement to be aware. Yes, yes, that's how we start. And we're going to have peace despite the fact that we see things differently because the alternative, the alternative is fire. I, I was in Montreal this past week. We had a wedding. We ran up, Rifki and I. So the morning after the wedding, I davened in my old, my old shul. It's always a treat to see everyone. And the way the shul is set up, the way the shul is set up is that there is a one seat for the Rav on one side of the bima, and then on the other side, in the other corner of the room, is there's another seat. Which generally, while I was there, was never really uh, sat in by anybody. So for the entire six years that I was there, I always sat in, in my seat. I was on the right-hand side of the room in the, uh, in the rabbi seat. I don't remember davening in that room ever without being in that seat. That's where I daven. So you come in, you're not the rabbi anymore. So where do I sit? So I, of course, was going to take a seat in the back. That's the best place to be. So the Rav, with whom I have a wonderful relationship, we speak regularly. So as soon as he sees me, and I, I told him I was going to be there. He saw me at the wedding. He's like, Put, you'll, you'll sit in the other seat on the other side. So for the first time, I'm now sitting on the left-hand side of the room. It's a whole different experience. The whole perspective is different. From, from the yardside plaques, the, the room is surrounded by yardside plaques. So the yardside plaques right behind my seat, I had memorized already. That's what I would stand facing for six years. I knew everybody's name, when they had passed away, whose family. And that's like a whole new board, which I almost never, I, I didn't see any of the names before. And, and all the idiosyncrasies of the daveners, you know, people, they, they, those who chepper, those who schmooze, those who make funny no- noises while they're davening. Like, I knew everything from the right-hand side of the room, but I didn't know anything. And all of a sudden, this whole davening is like a whole new perspective. And it's cliche, but it's so true. Sometimes when you physically pick yourself up and you move to the other side, you see the world from a different perspective. And we are so accustomed to sitting in our seats. We sit in our seats, in our homes, in our shuls, and we see the world from the perspective that we sit in, from the place that we live. And everything is from that perspective. And we can't imagine that anyone else would see the world differently. And so many of the machlokas that we get involved in is because we're stuck in the way that we see. And sometimes you literally have to get up and move to be able to see from someone else's perspective. You don't have to agree with that perspective. You just have to see that there is another perspective so that we can create shalom. And I, when I had this this week, it, it gave me such an insight into this puzzle that we started from. Dawson and Aviram, in their defiance, the Torah says, they were yotsu nitzavim. Pesach Ahalem. They stood upright at the entrance of their tents. 
And it occurred to me, what a symbolism. Like, this is our home. This is where we sit. This is where we live. And we will not go anywhere. We will not meet you, Moshe, halfway. We will not go to your side. We are staying where we are. This is how we see the world. And we will not move. And we're defiant, being rooted where we are. That is machlokas, the inability just to see, just to be willing to speak. They say to Moshe, we will not talk to you. We don't want anything. This is how we've decided and no movement. That's the root. It's part of the problem. And it's such an evil machlokas. It brings in such destruction that we have to be able to see that there's another side. We do not have to agree to every side. We just have to be able to see it, to be able to be willing to make Shalom to do the efforts that are necessary from our side, that there should be peace in our homes, in our shuls, in our schools, and in our communities. Blessing everybody with a peaceful Shabbos. It's already now post-Shabbos, obviously, as I'm recording this, um, but a, a, a peaceful existence within our community.